now arriving downtown Santa Monica Station. Hey Adam, it's time for Notes on Your Notes. I'm Adam Lesser. And I'm Joshua Townsend Zellner. Welcome to Notes in Your Notes, a podcast about the creative process and storytelling. Yaman. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I'm just looking. It's all beautiful and overcast (laughs) here in Santa Monica. It's nice. Yeah, so you can always tell that the seasons are changing in Santa Monica. But but by how loud the (laughs) horns honk? (laughs) By the angry angry villains on my street. Uh Uh-huh. You can tell because... Right around late October, early November, the fog starts to roll in, mm. and you can, and it gets gray for like six months. Nice, how romantic! It's really romantic. Yeah. Me, Josh, <laughs> <laughs> my sewing machine, yeah. yoga mat, yeah, a couple mm. microphones. Just, that's what we call Friday. Yep, it's yeah. So here we go, Mister Adam. I was thinking about something very deep the other day. Which is unusual for me. <laughs> I would love to do a sketch of you having superficial thoughts. <laughs> like, oh, I'm getting a little gray in my hair. Maybe I should dye it. Huh. Huh. Oh, my skin's a little wrinkly. I'm going to need a little moisturizer. Right, right. The sort of day-to-day stuff, the pedestrian stuff. Yeah. I guess for you, it'd be like, do I rent the Ford Focus or the Jeep Cherokee? Huh. I wonder which one I like more. Yeah. So yeah. Do, do, do I go import or American? Yeah. 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 How do I feel about my country <laughs> today? <laughs> so here is what I was thinking about in terms of storytelling. And that is in the process of writing, there needs to be at one point a turn for the character, for the lead character, the one that we're watching going through the transformation. And what happens is, is if we were to artificially break the story into three parts, like act one, two, and three, um, there is in act one, we set up the narrative, we set up the character, we set up what's going on with them and where they need to grow or change or heal or transform. And then in the last act, or halfway halfway through the last act or even later, we actually see it where they demonstrate that new behavior. We see them have a breakthrough. We see them adopt the new behavior, and then it in- integrates to some degree by the end of the narrative. And in the middle is where people, uh, uh, the main character, struggles with bridging from the old to the new. And I find that a lot of times writers will not have a firm grasp on that middle part, the struggle part, uh, where they fail, where the character actually you know, has an opportunity to do the new behavior and then fails at it or struggles with it and then fails or does it halfway or h- however that looks for that story. Um, and so identifying that, that midsection is really important as well as identifying the misbehavior at the top and also how they transform uh, at the end of the story. Okay. I have strong feelings about this. Tell me, Adam. I want to know about your strong feelings. So let me get in and try to break down a little bit of what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So 
the, the term that gets thrown around in the world of storytelling, particularly in the world of like screenwriting and TV writing is misbehavior. What's mm-hmm. the misbehavior of the character? Mm-hmm. Um, it's used in other contexts as well, but, and I've always longed for a definition of the word misbehavior, but I think it's in the realm of the unhealthy actions that mm-hmm. are creating problems in the character's life, generally in relationship with themselves or other. We could call it aberrant, the yeah. aberrant behavior. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the behavior that, it's usually also the behavior that makes the character engaging, mm-hmm. why we're interested in the character to begin with. Mm-hmm. It's also the behavior that drives all of his action or her action in the story, mm-hmm. typically. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we experience as an audience some degree of catharsis mm-hmm. or engagement or we're brought to tears, it's usually because we see that character's misbehavior change from the repetitive behavior, which is causing this character some degree of pain mm-hmm. towards the healthy behavior, which is healing. Yes. And that's usually a wish that most people have for their own life. And also unconscious to conscious. Yeah. Unconscious to conscious. Mm-hmm. So that's what Josh means. Now, when I say I have strong beliefs and I'm not saying anything anybody else hasn't said is writing that middle transition mm-hmm. is the hardest part. In screenwriting, it's called act two blues. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've seen it referred to mm-hmm. as, but basically act one, you set up what the story is going to be about. You set up where the character is. Yeah. In act three, you have resolution, a final conflict and a climax and usually the change. If you mm-hmm. put mm-hmm. in a transformative type film or story, if you put the character at the beginning, at the end, you know, there's some sort of yeah. mirroring in terms of they've changed their behavior. Mm-hmm. But it's that middle part where you set up and write all the scenes and all the actions that sort of push the character mm-hmm. towards the healthy behavior, but mm-hmm. it has them, but they keep pulling back from their own choices. Yeah. And they have to be their own choices. Yes, that's really important. Because well. their own choices their own choices are gonna exhibit the misbehavior. Mm-hmm. That's the really hard part. That's the part that most people don't do well or struggle to do well. Uh, and when they do it poorly, what happens is, as you say, all of a sudden the character shows up at the last 30 minutes of the movie yeah. and ta-da! Yeah. And you're just like, whoa. Uh-huh. Sometimes the note that is given is your character didn't earn this. Yes. And I love that word earn because I think it sums it up. We have to go through a process of pain and poor decisions and conflict before we will accept that a character will make that change. The crucible. Yes. We have to go through the crucible. We have to go for the alchemical process. Right. Also, one final note I'll just say is many, many movies and many, many stories have no transformations that do not have a transformative character. Most notably, things like James Bond, who James Bond has been pretty much the same in every movie he's ever been in. He has really no emotional journey. Um, Some of the newer stuff, they've tried to make him more complex. Um, But... And if they don't change by the end of the narrative, it's usually it's usually in context with a tragedy, where the where the character keeps repeating the same misbehavior, doesn't learn the life lesson, and then it usually um, gets stronger and stronger, more intense until it's it, it caused them their demise. Right, like Hamlet comes to mind. Yep. Right. So very, like it's very Shakespearean when you talk about mm-hmm. it in that context, like these tragic. Char- tragic. Yeah. Tragic. Right. Uh, yeah. O- Othello. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other context in which there's not a ton of transformation is television. Because mm-hmm. characters can't transform because if they transform, the show's over. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it's Sometimes they go deeper into the yeah. misbehavior. We've talked about this. Yeah. Walter yeah. White in Breaking Bad actually goes the other way. He becomes more unhealthy. Yeah. 
and that makes us more engaged. Yeah, we love it. Right. Yeah. And we just to say we love watching misbehavior. Yeah. Like it's fascinating yeah. to us. Yeah. And we will sit through and watch a character run up against the wall a hundred times. But we'll also watch because we think the way that that character runs up against the wall is fascinating. Can I, can I tell you something? This is hysterical. I, have, I don't think I've ever shared this with anyone. Uh-huh. Tell me. <laughs> and you, but what you're saying is just making it, the, the memory just came up. For a long time, this is going to sound weird. Okay. For a long time, I would watch films. Uh-huh. And as soon as the character started to get better... I would I would turn it off or, or walk out. Really? You'd get disengaged yeah. as soon yeah. as they started to get healthy? Yeah, I'm like, yeah, it's over. So not, <laughs> not interesting anymore. I just want that. I just really want that. Well, that's aberrant behavior. That yeah. might be Josh's misbehavior in real yeah. life. Yeah. Most people watch and enjoy that period because yeah. there's something resolving. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're bored. Yeah, I'm like, eh. <laughs> Show's over. Isn't that interesting? I, I forgot. I went through a period where I did that for a lot. You would just walk out of the theater? Yeah, I'd just be like, yeah, I, I know how it goes now. He's going to get better. Was that because you wanted to, the suspense aspect of you were curious what happened and now that you knew, or is it because you were no longer interested because the character was doing healthy behavior and healthy behavior can be boring? Yeah, that. The latter. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, eh, yeah, I yeah. see that. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. All right, next. Okay. Um, I'm going to throw out a couple of good film examples. Yeah. That I think did this really well. Yeah. Oh, can I, I want to mention one more. Yeah. yeah, I want to hear those. And I also want to throw out that that misbehavior, you know, also needs to be connected to the theme, the overall theme of whatever it is that we're exploring in our narrative. Okay. Yes, I'm ready. Okay. For well, examples. that's good. We can yeah. we can connect these misbehaviors to theme yes. that I'm about to give you. Yes. Okay. So, I think from a structural perspective, one of the easiest places to see this is Groundhog's Day, Bill Murray movie. Oh yeah. Uh, Andy McDowell, I believe, plays yes. the love, indist- love yes. interest. Uh, if you like screenwriting and you have not read, da- read Danny Rubin's script for this, I would put it on like maybe top 20 scripts all time. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Also, Danny Rubin's kind of fascinating because after he writes this absolutely brilliant script, he stops writing, mm-hmm. goes to Harvard, teaches screenwriting. He's like, wow. he's like I'm done. Wow. Anyways, um, maybe he's written recently, but he kind of like decided he didn't want to be a screenwriter after writing one of the best scripts ever. Uh, so... For those of you who haven't seen it, the way Groundhog's Day works is that Bill Murray's character is a self-centered, egoist, egotist, a mm-hmm. uh, bit of a womanizer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bit of a pessimist about life deep down, and doesn't treat people well. Kind right? of like a documentary of my life, yeah. kind of, it's basically. Like Josh Townsend yeah. story. Yeah, that's my story, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, anyways, he, you know, he gets trapped in this, um, in this small, I believe, Pennsylvania town, and immediately we find out that he's stuck on the same day. Yeah. So every night he goes to bed, he wakes up, it's the same day. Mm-hmm. Same sound on the alarm clock. And initially his misbehavior gets worse. Mm-hmm. He figures out a way how to sleep with the hottest girl and manipulate her, right? Uh-huh. He steals money from like, uh, you know, those guys who are, what are they called? The the guys who pick up money from banks. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah so uh-huh. he does that. And so it's actually very funny. But as time goes on and we get into the second act, Mm -hmm. he realizes he's completely trapped in this day, possibly for the rest of his life. And that's when the turn happens. He starts to realize that the only thing that will make him feel good is to do good. And then he's going to get trapped in this day. 
he's just going to do good things. Mm-hmm. So he saves someone with a Heimlich maneuver who's choking oh, at the yeah. same time every day. Yeah. He catches a kid who falls out of a tree. <laughs> he begins to work on himself. Mm-hmm. He, he takes piano lessons. Mm-hmm. And he stops trying to sleep with the woman he really wants to connect with, which is Annie McDowell, his producer, right? Mm-hmm. Who is sort of, in a lot of ways, this pure sort of innocent woman, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. she represents sort of the good, Yes, the good in in the world, and uh, until the climax where he's not trying to sleep with her at all, he's just living in the present as a genuine human being, mm-hmm. um, and that of course is when she falls in love with him and he gets out of the day. So, what I think is masterful about this movie is, and because it's structurally set up that he's living the same day, mm-hmm. you actually can track. That yes. you can actually track the erosion of the misbehavior. Yes, it's a very incremental. It, they also put in something that's interesting, which is the day gets longer as he does better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. they lengthen that. Yeah. Uh, I've also heard this movie referred to as a very Buddhist movie, which I think is very apt. Mm, in what way? F- because ultimately, the, when we talk about theme, one of the themes of this movie is that there's nowhere to get to. Mm. that it's only our behavior and our ability to live in sort of the present moment to transform ourselves mm-hmm. that matters. That's the only way we get freedom, mm-hmm. not by acquiring another sexual conquest, not by acquiring money. What? Not, not by <laughs> What? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, this movie was weirdly ahead of its time in ways I can't quite yeah. identify, but for the purpose of that, that you see his misbehavior shift by the end yeah. He is not that egotist anymore. He's yeah. he's treating people in a different way. He's changed. Uh, the other, I think, good example of this that we've always talked about is Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, that's v- and that's more traditional storytelling. Right. So it's 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 more identifiable. Absolutely, yeah. So Ron Woodruff is the main character in Dallas Buyers Club. He, I believe, works on an oil rig and. He's, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of a redneck. He gets AIDS, and then he goes on a on a quest to acquire um, sort of alternative he therapies. He does. He does high risk behavior. He's yeah. prostitution, drugs, IV drugs, I believe. Right at the at the that first. I re, the reason I mention it is because the setup on that film is so clean. You see him with prostitutes doing drugs in a hotel room, and the next day being at a rodeo. Yeah, and he, he owes very, money, and he owes money to you know gangsters right clean clean right Great and, setup. and over the course of the film you're gonna see him basically enter going from rejecting others to a place of acceptance primarily around you know the gay trans transgender community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know jared leto plays opposite him mm-hmm. sort of a gay uh, i believe cross sort of yeah trans transvestite i believe people on the fringe of society right and you see him now what's good about the second act is you see him sort of slowly begrudgingly accept these yeah. people yeah and it's very slow and even as he sort of will defend them a little bit he won't acknowledge it to himself you know he's always kind of at odds with them and then you see that slow transformation so one of the most famous scenes that i remember and i only saw the film once was in that scene where he's at the supermarket and some guy makes some disparaging comments about, you know, his friend and he takes him to task and, you know, gives him physical pain or something like that. 
And then, but yet he doesn't hold it. You know, he's like, yeah, well, whatever. After after he demonstrates that behavior, but we know as an audience, we know he's changing, but he doesn't recognize it, and and we love that as an audience. Yeah, he yeah. won't admit it to yeah. himself in right. a way because he's a macho guy. Yeah, and those guys don't admit, you know. Right, and then by the end, by the end of Act Three, then we see the full embrace, and, yeah. there's, and there's no, there's no more back and forth. Right, just yeah. as he's as he's gonna die, and so. I think these are pretty archetypal, good examples of character transformation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that anyone can go look at and study. But again, it doesn't make that second act any easier to write. And so I want to close here with one final topic, which is how do you write a great second act? And when I use a second act, it, just so everyone knows, you know, I think I mentioned before, but like traditionally when uh, the formula that is a Hollywood film is described as, Act one, you set up with the inciting incident. What is mm-hmm. the thing that's going to set a character on his journey? For mm-hmm. Bill Murray in Groundhog's Day, it's getting trapped in this town again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end of the first act. And then it goes on a second act journey, which is, you know, how how is the character going to navigate these obstacles? And the third act is usually resolution mm-hmm. of final conflict and the end of the movie. So the second act is usually the longest. Mm-hmm. It's usually 60 minutes, mm-hmm. sometimes longer. How do you... How do you write a great second act? One of the most important things is to be able to identify the first and the third in terms of where does the character start and where does the character end up? Because if you have those two bookends, it can really help bring a lot of clarity to act two. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times people really don't have a strong um, hold on what that misbehavior is and what what is the ultimate theme or what's the main core story or the main theme that they're working on in terms of addressing. So having both of those happen would be great. Then in terms of act two, to actually leverage the character to such a high degree, let me say it another way. If a character is not highly leveraged and they're put into what I call low stakes, meaning they're at the butcher and they're ordering something and the butcher gets it wrong. It's like, there's no stakes. It's like, oh, well, do it again, right? But if you're doing a transaction, let's say you're doing a business transaction and it's worth millions of dollars and someone misenters the thing, you know, misenters something, that's, that's high stakes. It's like, what are you doing? You know, you know that, that, that mistake cost us millions of dollars. So because of that, the character is high, more highly leveraged. And because of that, the aberrant behavior has a higher opportunity to come out in its less desirable form, meaning the mm-hmm. old form. So really looking for and and pushing your character into those positions where it's high stakes. Right. Because we tend to want to wait for the high stakes. Ah, this is it. We tend to want to put the high stakes in Act 3. But why not put it in in Act 2? Yeah, I mean... If one thing action movies can teach us, even though they don't character transform, mm-hmm. is that they are always trying to, in the second act, put their characters in higher and higher stakes. Mm-hmm. If only because the character's not transforming, if they're not in higher stakes, we're going to get really bored. Mm-hmm. Right? So now it's not like they're not trapped, you know, in a shootout. Now they're trapped and there's a nuclear weapon going to go off. Right? Like they just mm-hmm. keep pushing it. Right? Yeah. And I will say, like, to what Josh said about the first and the third act, if you don't know where the character starts and where the character ends up, writing the second act is... Yeah. not really possible yeah and i'm not saying you shouldn't sit down and write it to try to f- explore ideas but you really have to get to a point where knowing where the character is going to end up sometimes writing a second act can help you understand that oh yeah for sure mm-hmm. 
the only thing I would add to that is like from an overarching perspective is what are the most compelling scenes that I can write with my character in conflict mm-hmm. where they're not going to choose the right thing? They're not going to make the healthy decision. They're going to get to a point and back away. And because that's essentially what happens a lot in the second act, but help them go a little further. Incremental. Incremental. Yeah. We want we do want to see incremental shifts or they go. Yeah. Or, or they actually go and then they back down. Yeah. And, and writing to it a couple of times, I think would really, I think writing, you know, here's something that would help is writing, writing the same scene in act two where the character actually makes the full shift makes like a 50% shift and makes no shift at all like right. they are in Act 1. That's a good way of conceiving it. Yeah. Because that, that's very true in Groundhog's Day. Mm-hmm. He actually goes the other way initially. He mm-hmm. goes, gets worse. but like That makes sense though. Yeah. yeah. That's character. That's yeah. fine. That's yeah. that's fine for a second act. They don't have to always go in one direction. In fact, sometimes... It's better not to. Yeah, yeah. making them actually get more misbehaved, more worse in their behavior initially in the second act can be extremely compelling. Yeah. Because it makes them, when they come back, all the more cathartic. He also starts to identify that oh, if I if I behave better, my day lasts longer, because mm. he he kept getting get thrown back. So then it becomes like a game. The the thing here's the thing about that. I'm gonna throw in one more concept for today before we move on and say goodbye to our l- listeners, um, which is this thing of loop time. So let, let's go for an example here. Um, let's say there's a lady who goes to the office every day. And every day she encounters someone that she manages. And every day they do something screwy with the coffee or whatever. And every day she gets upset. So that's her loop, right? And within the context of most people, that would be okay. And then there would be like an escalation because the, the, the character would want her to do the coffee differently. And every day it doesn't happen. So it would escalate. But imagine if if that lady had that same interaction with her underling every hour. Then it starts to get crazy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the only difference between someone who is uh, mentally balanced and, you know, changeable, mutable, is is how much space there is between the loop, between the misbehavior. Yeah, no, this is an interesting concept that you're presenting. It is. It makes me think, like, pick a scene yeah. between... You're with your main character uh-huh. in conflict uh-huh. and keep rewriting it mm-hmm. in a different way so they get incrementally closer to a healthy choice. Uh-huh. And yeah. if they and if they don't change and, and it happens with enough frequency in a short period of time, they act, the person actually will have the impression of being like a little, you know, a little. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, write it in different ways. Have it exacerbate. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. And then, you know, bring her back. This has been Notes on Your Notes. I'm Adam Lasser. Thank you so much for listening. We would love if you went to the iTunes page and rated us. Uh, I think we're almost at 40 reviews. And when you rate us, you know, five stars is, is you know, I, I just want to take away, like, any, um, you know, like, concern of, like, oh, what should I rate them? Four, five, just... Let it not be a choice point. Yeah, Yeah, just, just jump in at the highest increment, yeah. Uh, we would appreciate that. And we're not on, be a choice point. You're funny. <laughs> we're, on, we're on notes on your notes on, on our <laughs> Facebook page and also on Instagram. Uh, the music on our show is courtesy of Kevin McLeod and the sound design and, and editing is courtesy of me. We'll talk to you next week.